Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're wondering when our payday is coming now that the Bundesliga seems to be such a hot property among the private equity crowd. At my side, and I assume he accepts cash or credit, is Nick Feldhagen. Always cash. Always cash, Matt. <laughs> but see, if you accept credit, I assume that means that the bank pays you, and then it's up to the payee, the payer, to, you know, pay back the bank. So the money's going to come through, right? Don't don't trust banks. Don't trust them. I've got massive amounts of, uh, you know, notes under my mattress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're rolled up. They're in old coffee cans. <laughs> yes. I mean, I just, I just recently... He's got a shotgun under the bed. I just recently uh, read a story about a, a recycling worker in Australia who opened a bottle of pills... And found, like, rolled up loads of $100 bills, Australian dollars, in, you know, several thousand dollars in that pill bottle, which was going to go into the garbage chute and was eventually going to get burned. Oh. Was he, like, cleaning out his granddad's house or something like that? Like, how did he come across these pill bottles? No, no, he worked in recycling, so he picked it up by, by, I think, by just a coincidence, really, and opened it up and out popped the, the 100 Aussie dollar bills. I like it. Maybe it's time for a career change for both of us. I mean, if Werder Bremen could uh, find money like that, like by coincidence, <laughs> and having to answer to no one, that, that'd be great. You know, a guy can dream. We're going to be back in a jiffy. We're going to talk a lot about the German Football League's vote to approve an investment in the league. Nothing is set in stone yet, but that's certainly the direction that they wish to go. We're going to talk about a couple of teams that might be thinking about coaching changes as well as a, a closer look at a team who made a change and a change that has paid dividends already. In the meantime, do make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Rate us with as many stars as you can spare on Apple Podcasts. And do consider signing up on Patreon. It's a big help to keep the show going. We'll be back soon. All right, here's part one of Talking Foosball. We're going to start off with events off the pitch. I think it's appropriate this week and that we may well be seeing something like a sea change in how German football is administered, is marketed, is uh, sold all over the world. Essentially, we had a vote from the German Football League, the DFL, as folks in Germany call it, to sell marketing rights for the league. You know, over a period of 20 years, some external investors are apparently sort of, well, in the DFL's mind, getting ready to start a bidding war over this great product. The price for this, this is um, going to go somewhere between 800 million and 1 billion euros. And the league has considered deals of this nature in the past. It had voted them down in the past. This week's vote was very close, but it went just just enough for the yays to have it. I think it was 24 to 10 to two abstentions. And I don't know, you want to name a bit of the details about why this should be a sweet thing for uh, all the teams under the DFL? That's the top flight and the second division. I mean, basically what they're saying is that, well, look, uh, we have to make up some ground compared to Premier League, compared to the biggest teams in Spain. We don't get enough broadcasting money, especially abroad. We need to improve that. So here's what we're going to do. We need an infusion of fresh cash, which allows the DFL to sponsor teams to go on, you know, 
tours of Asia and America and it allows the DFL to establish offices abroad and it allows them to fight internet piracy. Good luck with that, by the way. Oh my god, if they spend a penny on that, it is a waste of money. Well, and then, they're actually considering spending millions from what I gather, and then they also want to establish a media platform to sell content to fans. And, you know, that sounds great, sort of initially, but then you have to keep in mind that big organizations trying to create media platforms usually do a quite a shitty job at that. So I wouldn't be too enthused about that, and I wouldn't be too surprised if the return for that sort of investment is not going to yield its original investment back into the coffers of the DFL and the club. So that's basically what they plan with 600 of those millions. The rest of the cash is basically going to be spread out among the rest of the clubs. They're saying that since they're selling those broadcasting and marketing rights, which then would entitle an equity investor to get money back each year, the clubs are going to sort of get in some of that cash directly to them in order to make up for, you know, the loss of income that is going to occur because of that. But, you know, I mean, the point of it is to, especially to that outreach abroad, is that they want to increase the market value of their product. They want more broadcasting revenue from abroad. But, I mean, when you think about the money, I mean, it sounds like quite a lot. It's 800 million euros to 1 billion. But, you know, the gap between the Bundesliga and the Premier League in terms of broadcasting revenues right now is 4 billion. So what you're basically saying is that we're going to put on a band-aid to, you know, heal a gun wound. So, I mean, I, I think it's maybe a little bit defeatist of me to say, but I think that to think that you are sort of in a war and that you sort of can make up that ground compared to the Premier League, I think is a bit naive, really, if that is the point. I think that the Bundesliga has many unique selling points which it should play to. And, you know, making up grounds against the Premier League, no, that's, that's not where we should be going. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think I have, and, and the reason why we're bringing this up, to be fair, we'll get to it later in the program. This was basically a decision. This was a vote that was not greeted very warmly by most football fans in Germany. There's a lot of protests on the match day, and there's been a lot of sort of concern that this sort of a deal brings with it the possibility of a type of commercialization or a type of prioritizing fans other than the the match day going fans that I think they're kind of upset about. However, I do think that if you want to sort of compete in this sort of international marketplace of, you know, football leagues, and, you know, that is a bit of an if considering the landscape at the moment where it's kind of like the Premier League is the week-to-week league, which is just dwarfing everybody else. Then you, of course, have like the Champions League or, you know, maybe in the future some other sort of European league that, you know, renegade teams join together. And I feel like all the other domestic competitions, whether it's La Liga or Serie A or Liga or whatever, like they're not really in the race anymore. Like if you want to be in that race – this is the only way you're going to get back in that race is by doing something big. I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to work. I don't have a lot of faith that like this sort of marketing know-how of all these, you know, private equity firms and, you know, sort of commercial partners that they intend to bring in have the ability to do that. But if you want to get back in the race, you have to do something. I think probably, I don't know, it, it seems to me that the biggest changes are likely to be in a lot of like sort of 
advertising campaigns, marketing campaigns, potentially, you know, the, I feel like the worst outcome that might happen for, you know, match going fans is like that they might try and set up one or two additional broadcast windows. And we know how that goes over quite poorly in Germany. They tried putting a broadcast window on Monday. I don't think they're going to do that again. But like, would the sky fall if you added a third broadcast window on Saturday? I don't think so. But German fans might say that. Well, I mean, there are initiatives in Germany. Let's say that all football matches should be played at 50-30 local time in Germany. Oh, and those people drive their cars like the Flintstones. They have their feet going... Like, come on, guys. That's foolishness. Well, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think it's a bit of uh, wanted foolishness because it's a bit like the Republican Party used to do, starting under George W. Bush, that they always would move so far to the right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So fucking yeah. far to the right that the Democrats, if they wanted to, to have a deal with them, would have to meet them at some ridiculous point to say, oh, yeah, it's now we're in the middle. Yeah. They are moving the Overton window. Yes. There you go. I mean, I think that's what the point of such campaigns are. But I mean, to be fair, you said that, well, you have to do something. But it's not like CPR, where you can say that the biggest mistake is to do nothing. Because honestly, with all of that money, when you look at that and you think, well, you want to establish a media platform to sell content to fans. Do you need all those millions for that? You want to fund trips abroad? I mean, can you incentivize clubs to do that anyways? If it's in the club's best interest for themselves? Yeah, but I mean, having seen a couple of these, like, you know, I've seen a hair to game in the United States. You know, I knew people who went to those games that happened in Texas a couple of years ago in December of, I don't know, 19 or something like that. 21, maybe. <laughs> these clubs, <laughs> these clubs can't put together a tour to save their lives. They don't know how to connect with anybody. They don't know how to market themselves. They don't. They do these tours, and they do a terrible job of them, to be frank. I feel like someone needs to step in and be like, guys, this is how you do it. And, and to be fair, like, I'm a fan of the Bundesliga. You're a fan of the Bundesliga. We don't live in Germany. You know, I, I'm not saying we have the secret of how to market this league. But, like, you know who doesn't have the secret? The DFL. They need someone to, to give them an injection of some new ideas, like maybe stop with the uh, internet piracy campaigns. Maybe, maybe. I think the idea is that, that that nothing is going to change, but that the DFL basically is going to give the clubs the money to go on those trips abroad. So, I mean, if that's your idea, well, good luck, <laughs> I suppose. And I'm not against progress. I'm not against changing your product. And I think using the word product is a terrible sin. But I think one of, some of the reactions by the fans actually stem from the fact that they're actually being told by the officials that no, an investor wouldn't have any sort of influence on, you know, kickoff times, on how the league is marketed. You know, these guys are going to come in. They're going to put up 800 million euros to 1 billion euros. And they would have very limited influence. And in my mind, like seriously, who's putting up 1 billion euros saying that, well, take my money, do as you please, and, you know, don't keep me in the loop of what you're supposed to do with the money and what you're, you know, how you're going to market your product. I mean, I don't care. I don't care. I don't, you know, just, just go ahead. Yeah, these folks, whoever they end up being, are not going to be silent investors. They are going to have demands to make. They're going to have, you know, well, they won't couch it as demands. They're going to they're going to couch it as advice or, you know, sort of requests. But I think we all know what that means when it comes with a, a billion euro price tag. Before we leave this sort of, you know, what does this all mean bit behind, I think one thing that I think is important to bring up, and certainly you've texted me about it, is a little bit of 
intrigue alongside the vote. I mean, as I said, this was a very close vote. It needed to be a two-thirds vote in order to be ratified. They just got there, 24 out of 36, 10 no's, two abstentions. One of those yes votes came from none other than Hannover 96, who were represented by Martin Kind. Martin Kind. Uh, <laughs> ooh, he's got quite a checkered history with the DFL, with his own club, with, uh, yeah, general friction seems to surround the man. What is the upshot of this story that uh, has not yet been confirmed but is seem- seems to be swirling around? Well, I mean, what Martin Kidd actually is saying is that the vote is secret and I'm not going to reveal how I voted. But And this, this is where it gets tricky. So what German clubs do under the 50 plus 1 rule is actually that they have an EV, which stands for Eingetragener Verein, which is sort of the mother organization, and then they have the professional division. Now, Martin Kind was kicked out by the members of the mother division of, you know, the mother club because they hated him, most of the ultras. They hated him. They hated his guts. They didn't want him to be their president. But the guy who's voting at the DFL is the guy who is presenting the professional division. And that is still Martin Kind, as he has the majority rights to the professional division. And um, again, a bit of trickiness under 50 plus one here, because theoretically speaking, you can buy 100% of the mother club. However, it is established that even though somebody owns 100% of the shares of the professional division, the mother club or the founding club, the Eingetragener Verein still gets to have 50% plus one vote in. So, but anyways, so Martin Kind was sent and he was told by the president how to vote. That is the mandate of the president. The president told him, vote no. Now, 10 clubs then came out and said, we voted no. Augsburg, and I think Osnabrück, uh, at least one other second division side, they came out and said, we abstained. Abstaining means basically no in this sense. It's, it's you know, sort of like the gentle put down of, of no. It's not you, it's just me. But Hanno then thought, hang on. There were 10 clubs voting no to abstaining, and we told our guy, Mr. Kind, the guy who wanted to, you know, make the 50 plus one rule collapse, we told him to vote no too. But somehow this passed. So something seems to be a little bit fishy here. Yes, yes. And I expect that someone may well press this issue if we're able to back it up with some concrete evidence. Let's move on because, as I said, that story has not yet taken flight. But what has, certainly, is the fans' reaction on match day 15 of this year's Bundesliga season – I think maybe maybe you should start things off because this was a game that I think probably caught your attention for pretty obvious reasons. Gladbach and Werder Bremen were involved. What was the reaction of the ultras and the serious fans in the ground there? Basically, to 12 minutes of silence. So it's the silent treatment. And then loads and loads of chocolate coins were tossed onto the pitch. And actually, you could see that Germany's fan scenes are quite well organized because you saw the same thing happening many other places. And, uh, you know, by Sunday, it, it had become so common that the stewards at Freiburg were that well prepared. They actually took leaf blows with them to get the chocolate coins off the pitch, which uh, absolutely fantastic work, guys. One funny side note is that Takuma Asano, a Bochum player, he looked at the chocolate coins and thought, well, I mean, I need a bit of an energy boost. We've played 12 minutes, so he picked up a couple, went on to score a goal and have an assist. You know, he smilingly said that, you know, he did a bit of chocolate doping. 
which is great. So, and the obligatory tennis balls were also thrown onto the pitch. So matches were disturbed, banners were unrolled, basically the same message, we cannot be bored, you are selling out football, you shouldn't do it, go and, you know, F off, is basically what the fans are telling the DFL. And, you know, to a certain extent, the leaders of their clubs. Yeah, yeah, it's been very interesting to see the unanimity of, as Germans call it, the active fan scene. It definitely feels like even clubs like, you know, for example, FC Augsburg, who have an investor in the club who has really sort of bankrolled a lot of their success in recent years, success put in, you know, <laughs> moderate terms, even those fans express themselves quite vocally. Actually, yeah, I want to actually run over to our old pal, Marie Schulterbachum, who has been interviewing players and coaches for Sportcast, for the DFL's production arm this season. She took in Augsburg versus Dortmund this weekend. I asked her what caught her eye in the WWK Arena. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that really stuck out was the 12 minutes of silence and protest of the investment deal. And that was noticeable because both camps didn't sing. And we know that the Dortmund away end can be really loud. And yeah, it was more like the atmosphere in an English stadium where, you know, people were kind of murmuring dependent on what was happening on the pitch. You know, there'd be like the groans and everything. And then on exactly on the 12 minute mark, both camps started chanting their anti-investor, shall I say, parades from one end to the other. And then it kind of came into a normal atmosphere that we're familiar with in the Bundesliga. But yeah, that was... I think my my first impression of the game when I was there on Saturday. Well, what was your second impression then? <laughs> <laughs> my second impression was just how confident Augsburg were as a team. You know, I was there before one of the international breaks on October 7th, when it was basically Enno Maaßen, the former coach's last game. And there was a real sense that it would be his last game. And I kind of felt like afterwards I was interviewing a dead man walking and I always really liked him. He's a very charismatic coach, great at explaining tactics, but so much has changed since he left. And now of course they have Yes Torup and the team, you know, I think it's benefiting from that known manager effect of having a new coach on the sidelines and everyone competes for their space. Some of the people formerly benched are getting chances. And in this case with Augsburg, I think Frederik Jensen as a winger has really benefited. Um, the Finnish international scored when I was there two weeks ago against Eintracht Frankfurt, where they actually won. They beat Eintracht Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. And that was the snowstorm in Munich and Bavaria, where everything in southern Germany was locked, uh, you know, and it was minus 12 degrees. Yeah, how did you manage to even get up there? <laughs> so I was supposed to take a train, but there were no trains. And basically, we found the only train, I think, in southern Germany that worked, but it only went from Central Station to München Pasing, which is another, you know, stop in Munich. And then from there, I had to take a taxi because I had to get there from work. So that was probably the most expensive taxi I ever took, but I'll get reimbursed <laughs> and um, managed to make it there in the end. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned, Frederik Jensen scored and they were shuffling snow until I think an hour before kickoff. And I interviewed him after and he said he was the only player who looked forward to the conditions because he's used to it from home. I don't know. He was in a really good mood. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up some of the changes that have taken place at uh, Augsburg since Torup took over. 
you know, I think I'm ready to say at this point that this is more than just a new manager bounce. I mean, he's been in place for, you know, going on a month and a half, two months. And I don't know. There's been a marked change in results. They're not piling up wins, but they have more or less uh, (laughs) stopped losing other than that night in Bremen. You know, it's a team that I think, or a club rather, that has gone through a lot of ups and downs, mostly downs when it comes to sort of like their placement in the league, but they've, they've managed to stick around. And I feel like the Enrico Masson era was a bit of a false dawn. He came in with a lot of, you know, positive reputation behind him. He came in with not a lot of big talk about attacking football, but, you know, definitely seemed to sort of promise a little bit more flair than had been associated with them in the recent past. What has Torup brought new to the table in your mind? Has it been more of a, a sort of a confidence, a solidity, or have there been, you know, significant changes in the way that this team is set up? I think both of those things. One thing I noticed just interviewing him is he's very tall and he's very easygoing. You know, he's Danish. He has this quiet confidence and he's charming. You know, he's not arrogant, but he'll say things like, you know, we start every game wanting three points. And, you know, I asked him that question after they had won a point against Dortmund. And I asked him what his goals are for the game in Stuttgart, you know, one of the most informed teams in the Bundesliga. And he said, we want to get three points. And, (laughs) you know, it's hard not to laugh at that. But that's just, I think that's what makes him exceptional. And he speaks all these languages. He, He seems to be a really good communicator. And he's just gracious, you know, after the Eintracht Frankfurt fans, without me really asking him about this, he thanked all the staff who made that game possible, you know, just a day after Bayern had to cancel its game against Union Berlin due to snow conditions. And no, I think he has that experience that's really working in his favor. And I think that's worth mentioning because, you know, we always hype these younger coaches and say how innovative they are. And like you were saying with Enrico Maaßen, you know, he came from Dortmund where he was before. And it's just with Yes Torup, he was kind of like an unknown quantity in Germany. But in his first seven games with Augsburg, he's only lost one. And he's done a really good job with them. And positionally and tactically speaking, I think it's just fine-tuning things and um, changing the lineup a little bit. So, for example, Niklas Dorsch is back as a starter. He's kind of played a key role in central midfield um, at the expense of Arne Engels, who was kind of Enrico Maaßen's darling and one of the best young Bundesliga signings, you know, we've seen in recent years, he only joined Augsburg in the winter as a 19-year-old from the Belgian league, and he made an immediate impression. But yesterday, for example, he put Anna Engels, who's a defensive midfielder, and sometimes plays as a right back, at left back. And <laughs> I, I spoke to Anna Engels after, and, and he was just saying, you know, I'm just, I'm happy that I played, and the coach trusted me, and I did a good job, and it didn't seem forced that he said that, you know, it didn't didn't seem pre-trained. Um, it just seemed very sincere and honest. And uh, Demirovic in the interview said that it was a game where all the families were invited to watch them against Dortmund. And there just seems to be kind of a pre-Christmas calm that has enveloped the whole club and the whole city. And that's very different from two months ago where tensions were running high at Augsburg. Nice. That's interesting to hear you say that because you know, when you have a team that has a good atmosphere inside, when you're winning games or at least not losing games, and you feel like you have an open line of communication within the squad, between the squad and the coach, etc., 
players don't really mind being played in unfamiliar positions because they just want to be part of this successful project. Speaking of successful projects, I think Amadine Demirovich is a good example of somebody who's pitching in a lot. He got the goal against Dortmund yesterday. There were quite a few other chances for Augsburg, as you know, also as well for Dortmund. Dortmund probably could have won through either Fulkrug or Reina in the closing minutes. But I don't feel like this was a game that Augsburg were just trying to hang around in. They were actually trying to go out and, as you say, get the three points. Do you like their prospects of getting those three points in Stuttgart? (laughs) It's tough to say, because I think those are the two clubs where I've gone to most matches since the new season. So I know both of them quite well. And Stuttgart at home this season is just special. You know, I think it's very hard for any club to win there. So I don't think that they'll get three points. I can see them maybe getting lucky and getting a draw, but... Even that, I doubt it. I I fully believe that Stuttgart will enter the Christmas period with a win, um, a home win. But I think it'll be an entertaining game. And that's more than we would have expected a few months ago between those two sides. (laughs) All right. I'll leave you with one last thing. Since you've done so much post-match interviewing this season, you've gotten to sort of figure out who has interesting things to say. Who's going to be at the top of your list for both uh, Augsburg and uh, Stuttgart on Tuesday or Wednesday? I can't remember which day they're playing. Yeah, I'm not working that game, unfortunately. But if I were... (laughs) Yeah, I'm flying home for Christmas. So, yeah, if I were... I I have to say, Undav is great to interview. He's very honest, kind of wears his heart on his sleeve, speaks German and English well and is in great form right now. So he's always a fun interview partner. And Amadine Demirovic, he's just so important for the team at the moment. And yeah, doesn't mind having a microphone in front of him, which is always nice when you have someone who's who's confident in telling some stories and giving good answers. <laughs> All right. Spectacular. Thank you so much for uh, coming on Talking Foosball again after a long break away. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> so, Nick... Are you ready to put aside your traditional animus toward FC Augsburg if they can manage to put together enough credible results moving forward that they're not just a team who feels like they're in the way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've you know called them the herpes of the Bundesliga. You know, there's the thing that you want to get rid of and uh, never seemingly can get rid of. But under Torup, they've been fantastic. I mean, they've attacked purposefully. They've attacked in numbers. They have been fun to watch. Sort of, kind of, at some point, reminded me of Bremen under Thomas Schaaf in the good old days, when it's sort of like, oh, you score three, well, then we score four or five. Complete madness. Turup obviously is not that happy with his defense at times, but, you know, I mean, even ahead of the match against Dortmund, he went out in the press said, parking the bus? Well, it's never an option for us. Never. And compare that to, you know, the days of Weinseel, Marson. Yeah, it's such a massive difference. Suddenly they are fun, and suddenly players like Niklas Dorsch and Demirovic, they're guys that you would have had high hopes for. They look like the players that you thought they should and could be, which is great. So yeah, I'm definitely done with my Augsburg hatred if they continue like this. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all for it here at Talking Foosball. We'll be back in just a moment with part two.
All right, here's part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about, you know, all the other stuff that we feel like talking about from a given week, weekend in the Bundesliga. I think we should probably touch on what's happening at the top of the table. You know, Bayern versus Stuttgart is a game that's actually in progress as we speak. It will probably conclude by the time that we wrap up this podcast, but... To be fair, it's more or less wrapped up right now. It's uh, three minutes added on. It just said on my kicker yes. ticker. So yes. it's, it's three minutes left and Bayern lead 3-0. Yeah, but that's only going to put them back to within, what, four points of Bayer Leverkusen? Bayer Leverkusen really got the job done prior to this game between Bayern and Stuttgart. Leverkusen were at home to Eintracht and they got a 3-0 result as well. Yeah, and you have to say that... They work really effective against the Frankfurt side that is actually quite tough, which, you know, does do a good job counter-pressing and, you know, breaking. First half basically just consisted of four shots, two, two apiece. First shot of Bayer was their goal that came from a brilliant shot from an unlikely position to score a goal. I don't think that the XG was very high for that one, the goal scored by Boniface. And then was Alexandre Grimaldo with a free kick. I mean, those were the two shots they created. And once they got that 2-0 goal, I think they were up to four or five shots. So, I mean, in terms of what they were allowed to create by Frankfurt, I mean, Bayern were allowed to create a lot more by Frankfurt, but were that effective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've been, I've been really impressed in terms of how effective Bayer Leverkusen have been. I mean, they're outdoing their XG quite a lot. And additionally, Radetzky... You know, we've questioned his abilities or his, you know, stability a few times along the way. (laughs) But actually, I think he's the keeper who has, you know, the biggest positive difference of the XG against out of any keeper in the league right now. So um, he's been brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this is setting up a pretty interesting dynamic as we go forward into the winter break after, you know, our midweek match day coming up. If Leverkusen can sort of, you know, continue to keep Bayern at arm's length, you know, despite Bayern's game in hand due to the cancellation of their game against Union. You know, if Bayern are forced to play catch-up for the next few weeks, or the next few match days, the next few weeks, they're probably going to be going on ski vacations. No, no, no (laughs) ski vacations at Bayern. I think that that's an interesting set of pressure to put them under. I wanted to move over and talk a little bit about the bottom of the table because I think there's some interesting things happening there. Every time we head into a winter break, there's always a little bit of a time for clubs to take stock, clubs to sort of decide whether they want to go in a new direction, whether that means personnel-wise because there's a transfer window, whether that means coaching-wise. The team that I want to sort of put out there first as one of those clubs I think should be fairly obvious considering they are second bottom and have been down or around that uh, spot for quite some time, is FSV Mainz 05. They are coming off of really a couple of years of serious overachievement when it comes to resources. And, you know, we all gave uh, Bo Svensson his laurels for that great sort of comeback kid performance that he, you know, teased out of Mainz when they looked all but, you know, down a few years ago. But this season did not start well for them or for him. He was let go. They have Jan Zivat in charge at the moment, somebody who did not come into the job with a a ton of profile, but um, it seemed that they wanted to give him a shot to see how that was going to work out. And it really just hasn't worked out. They got one nice win, (laughs) his first week in charge over RB Leipzig, and not a lot since then. I guess it's six points from six games, which 
you know, if you were starting from mid table, that might be okay. But if you want to get out of a relegation problem, that's, that's not the way to do it. I mean, other than the points against Leipzig, the other three points we're taking against Darmstadt, Cologne, and Hoffenheim. So, I mean, two of those six points were taken against really weaker opponents and opponents that you need to beat if you want to leave that drop zone. And uh, additionally, this weekend they played against Heidenheim. They lost. Losing against Heidenheim means that Heidenheim are sort of getting a little bit more breathing space in that fight against relegation, which puts minds into even more trouble. So this match was really a key match. This is the one they needed to win or not lose, at least. And they did lose. They looked bad. They could have lost with more. So it's safe to assume that Christian Heidel and Martin Schmidt are going to sit down and they are going to talk things over and say, well, this couldn't have gotten much worse, really. If you, you know, take one point out of the two matches against Heidenheim and Darmstadt, you know, if you at the match against Cologne, two points out of those three matches against three other relegation strugglers. I mean, the minimum expectation here should have been four points, and they took two, which is pretty bad. Yeah, now they're not only not getting results, they are not getting results against the people they need to get results against. Just looking forward, because the next match day is coming so hard upon us, I mean, Mainz are closing things out away to Dortmund, which doesn't sound great. But, you know, of course, Dortmund has had their problems. Mainz actually gives Dortmund problems sometimes, traditionally. Might be a three-pointer, yeah. If there, is, <laughs> if there is any person you might have in mind to spin the wheel of Mainz with, is there one? Oliver Glasner, if he fancies it, really. But, I mean, he's a Europa League winner. As a coach, so I mean, he might he might be looking for bigger and better things, and you know, he's, his name is not going to be forgotten, so it's not an awful lot of pressure. I mean, Lucien Favre is available. I don't think he quite fits that squad. You know, I mentioned him on Aufstieg last week, saying that he might be a great fit for Hamburg. But I mean, the, uh, right now, there's not an awful lot of interesting characters around from the usual suspects. I mean, Enrico Maaßen, who just got fired at Augsburg, I don't fancy. Andre Breitenreiter, my God, no. So I mean, right about now. If they've done their research and they've been looking around because and looking for exciting coaches, maybe they can pull out the name of, a, of an exciting coach that we haven't even heard about. And that might be the very best option here because um, what's around of the usual suspect doesn't really excite me in terms of, you know, putting it together with minds. Yeah, well, <laughs> the usual suspects, you know, despite being a, a, a film we all loved in the 1990s, is not that exciting at the moment. The usual suspects of Bundesliga retread coaches. Another coach who seems to me to be in some trouble, and this one might be a bit more controversial and a bit less definitive. It's harder to fire Stefan Baumgart than it is to fire Jens Sievert. But I do think that Cologne are in some big trouble. They have one win in their last seven league games. I know that there has been a little bit of concern about how balanced that squad is. But that's a club that, at least for my money, needs to do everything it can not to go down. I mean, Heidenheim, you mentioned that they're seven points clear. Maybe they don't even have to worry about relegation at the present moment. But if you're Heidenheim, if you're Darmstadt, you go down, it's just kind of like, yeah, we expect it to go down. Cologne can't act that way. Cologne has to do everything they can to stick around and Maybe at some point that is the measure you need to take. 
well, I mean, you mentioned how tough it's going to be to fire Stefan Baumgart. I mean, he's going to come in in his T-shirt and his, you know, six-packs on. And, uh, you know, if the president tells him that, well, you know, we have to talking about certain measures and, uh, you know, we were thinking about letting you go. I, I don't think he accepts this without, you know, giving him a, a good fight and uh, a good talking. Yeah, to- there's going to be a tussle down at the Geisbachheim. Well, I mean, the thing is... And this is not Stefan Baumgart's fault, and I don't think we've mentioned it on this podcast before, but the thing is that this winter, allegations were made by a club in Ljubljana that FC Cologne poached one of their youth players. And, you know, they wanted money, and uh, what that in the end meant, the club from Ljubljana was believed. UEFA then banned Cologne from making any transfers for the summer transfer window, and that happened in early last year. In uh, around March, I think. So, problem here is that if you're being told in March that you cannot make any summer signings, it's kind of a tricky spot to be in because around March, you usually know the lay of the land, you know how much you can afford, you know what competitions you might be in or might be not in, or if you're going down or if you're staying up. So, that's when you start laying the groundwork for all the signings for the summer. And if you then have to wait until May, well, a lot of the players you might want to have signed have already signed. Yeah, I mean, basically from late March when the ban came down to late May to when it was lifted by Cass, you know, you as a club, if you know the details of whatever this dispute was between them and this club in in Slovenia, if you as a club feel confident that you're going to get the judgment you want – that's one thing. <laughs> but like all these players, all these agents, whether you're trying to make a deal, a cut rate deal, maybe you're looking for a player who's out of contract come summer. Do they really want to take a chance on a club who might not be able to sign them in the end or who might only be able to sign one or two players instead of four or five and look kind of hobbled by the experience? Yeah, I, I think that is an unsung reason for the hodgepodge that that squad was in. I mean, if you look at all the signs that they've made, I mean, there's Jeff Chabot. He was on loan already from Sampdoria, so they just basically triggered a purchase option, I think. And then, you know, I mean, it's sort of like they signed Philip Pentke, a 30-year-old goalie from Hoffenheim. Jakob Christensen came from Nordschelland, which is a decent signing. And then you've got Dominic Heinz and Leo Pacarada and Felix Alidou. And a last-minute loan for Luca Waldschmidt. It's sort of like when you just look over these signings and you think, well, hmm, hmm, it's um, nothing spectacular. This is basically, all of the signings you've made are basically depth signings, really. You're providing depth for your squad. You're not boosting your, your squad quality, but that is as good as Cologne could do this summer under those circumstances. And, well, lo and behold, uh, let's not forget that Jonas Hector, one of their most important players, big character in the dressing room, captain, he decided to retire, so replacing him, that didn't really happen when you take a look at those signings. And Ellis Shakiri went to Eintracht Frankfurt, and, well, he was their best player last season. So when you just see the list of players coming in and what went out, well, you stuck thinking that, well, this thing really didn't happen this year. I mean, it might have been a little bit better if it happened to them a couple of years ago or it might have happened to them in the future because this really hampered them tremendously. Yeah, and I still do think that there's an opportunity for them to move forward with Stefan Baumgart and perhaps with a new player or two. I mean, I feel like since we're entering into the last half season prior to both European Championship and a Copa America, 
next summer. There might be some players, some decent players, who might want to leave a bigger club and go to a smaller club and get games for this next you know five or six months that might not be available in other points in time. So, you know, maybe go out and win at the Alta Försterei on Wednesday. Hold on to Baumgart and uh, try and make a couple of decent pickups and turn things around, you billy goats. We're already talking about signing Makuku on a loan deal. And I mean, if, if your main struck is David Selke, yes, yes, do that. Do that. And, you know, I mean, if you can boost your squad with a couple of players or maybe even three players during the winter break, make some smart loan signings, uh, maybe even get a player who's dismayed in another club that can come on the cheap. Yes, do that too. And then suddenly you might see another team. And, you know, really, Stefan Baumgart, he is the last person who should be blamed for what went on with those transfers. All right. Well, with that, that is a wrap for this edition of Talking Foosball. Great to be back on with you, Nick. Always great to chat. And, uh, well, this is where we plug stuff, right? Yeah, or or shit. You know, if you want to plug shit, that's fine. Yeah, uh, remember to download the FC Quiz app and uh, check out the German football quizzes. I'm the one writing them. And, um, well, if you want to give me some feedback on what you think about the quizzes, you can get in touch with me on X at Musings. Nice, nice. And uh, cash, credit, or rolls of Aussie dollars in uh, pill bottles. That's how you can reach both of us. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.